The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au well, take your Bibles again, please, the book of Ephesians and chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse number 10 all the way down to the end of the passage, the end of the book in verse number 24. The Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, sorry, with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Loving Father, again, as we come before your open word, we pray, O oh God, that the Spirit of God would have freedom to move through this place to teach us the truth, to challenge us about how we are living. Father, to open our eyes and convict us of sin, but highlight and present the Savior to us. Father, we pray this morning for those who are in this room who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, we pray that they would hear the words of this message, the words of the text, and they would turn and be saved. Lord, we ask you these things and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ came as God's Son to defeat our enemies. He defeated sin, death, and hell. He destroyed the works of the devil. Christ has conquered the devil, and we've been saved out of the devil's domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear Son. The devils and demons know they're defeated. The end for them is absolutely sure, but they're not going out without a fight. And they're going to fight hard. The devil and his demons will spend every gram of energy trying to turn us away from following Jesus Christ. And you got to remember something. The devil is very much real, very alive, and very active. And we were talking about this the other night, a couple of us, and we were thinking that in our Western culture, we quickly realize that we have caricatured the devil into a cute little fellow with red pajamas, a pitchfork, horns, and a forked tail. By Western standards, he's no more real than the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. But the Bible says this. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that he is the dragon, the ancient serpent. The Bible says in Matthew 12 verse 24 that he is the prince of demons. In Ephesians 2 verse 2, he is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. The Bible says that he is a liar and the father of lies, a deceiver. And in Genesis 3, he is a tempter. Listen, he is real. 
Absolutely real. He is very real, unlike the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. His temptations do not come announced or prefaced with a warning label. They come subtlety, with subtlety. The devil is the master of subtlety. He is the master deceiver. He is the master of disguise. But listen, the key is not to go looking for him under every rock and inside every phone line. The key is to walk closely with the Lord. The key is to remember that the devil is defeated. Just as surely as when Goliath lay dead at the feet of David and David took off, pulled out his sword and cut his head off with it, the devil is defeated. But remember also, the greater is the Holy Spirit who is in you, the believer, than he that is in the world. The devil is defeated, but he's still fighting. He's still fighting on a futile effort. And his goal, his desire, his plan is to do anything he can to turn you out and turn you away from following Christ all the way to the end until Christ comes back. And last week we saw that we need to be prepared. To be prepared for the devil will come with his unrelenting and twisted schemes to try and turn us away from following Christ. We saw last week that we have a purpose In our preparations. And our purpose is that we may endure in the evil day. His purpose is that we'll withstand the devil's temptations. And we saw last week that we must obey God's commands. To seek from God to be strengthened in the Lord and the power of His might. To put on the armor of God for ourselves. To take up the armor of God for ourselves. And to stand firm in that evil day. The message this morning, if you want, you can follow along in your little note sheet in the bulletin. But the message this morning is simply this. God has given us his full armor of truth so that in his strength we may have sufficient to endure the devil's schemes against us. So we must clothe ourselves in it to stand firm and endure the devil's schemes. You have three points there. You can see them. Prepare, sorry, endure by clothing ourselves with God's full armor. Number two, endure by clothing ourselves in Christ's truth. Truth, And thirdly, endure by clothing ourselves in Christ's righteousness. So we want to look at the first one, to endure by putting on and taking up God's full armor. So notice the text, verses 11, 12, and 13. I'm going to read them again. The Bible says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, having obeyed every way, to stand firm." These two commands, to put on and take up, they are emphatically for us to do. Unlike being strengthened, which is God's work in us, and we plead for God to do that work, these two commands are very strongly worded in the original language to say, this is your responsibility, Christian. This is for you to do. We must put on God's complete armor, and we must take up God's complete armor. Now, first, when you read that, My little English mind goes, no, 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 you take it up, then you put it on. But Paul says, put it on, then take it up. And I thought, why would he do that? In fact, it was so jarring, I had to go back and see, why is it he puts put on first and take up second? And the the idea, the meaning behind them is of this, what those words actually mean. The idea of put on is to take, put on is to fit it to ourselves. Like the soldier goes down to the armory and he's handed a breastplate and he's handed the greaves, he's handed the the belt and he takes them and he kind of puts them all on and he adjusts all the straps and, you know, if he's a big tall guy, he makes a bit longer. If he's a short guy, he tightens up all the straps and he puts it on. But then he must go out into the, the practice yard and take out the sword and he must get used to using that armor and as he begins to get accustomed to the weight and the feel and the heft of it as he spars back and forth with his friends around the practice yard he makes that armor his own and that's the meaning behind take up so one is to put on and get get it on yourself the other is to make it your own to take it up for yourselves. Each of us in our own walk of faith must put on God's complete armor. We cannot do it for each other, 
and we cannot share armor with one another. Each of us has been supplied, but we must put it on and we must get used to it and we must make that armor our own. But it, listen to this. This is important. This is our responsibility. God will give us the strength. God has filled us with his Holy Spirit, so we'll have the power to live this life. And he has provided that armor, but he says, you must put it on. As we said last week, the issue of obedience to God's commands is so powerful and so strong. What it means is we prove our salvation by the obedience to God's commands. And by obeying God's commands, we will endure to the end. So our obedience to God's commands is shown by the fact that we put it on. And when we put it on, then we will have sufficient to endure all the way to the end. Now, the second thing I want you to notice here is the analogy of clothing. And I went online and looked up, clothe yourselves and put on. And you know what? I found all these uh, illustrations, Ephesians 6.10, all these armor pictures and all these sword pictures and all these diagrams with little lines pointing to all the different parts of the armor. And what we've done in our world is we've made so much of the analogy that we've almost failed to realize it's an analogy. It's just there as an illustration to help us understand what the point is. So my point, one point this morning is don't make too much of the analogy because the truth behind it is easily missed if we make a whole lot of the analogy and fail to get the main point. So don't make too much of it. So the command in verse number 14 is to stand. And the idea of standing is to remain standing or to endure. The idea is to be able to take the blows of the enemy and endure, to endure against the repeated attacks and schemes and devices of the devil. We said last week, the devil doesn't just try one thing, throw up his hands and say, oh, well, never mind, and walk away and try somebody else. He comes back again and again and again, and it's that repeated blows that we get, we stand and we endure because we have the strength of God and because we have the armor, but it's not just one blow, it's a repeated blow. How are we going to do that? Notice what he says. Notice the verb tenses. He says, we stand having burdened and having clothed and having done all and so on. The idea of having there, it introduces a verb that's something that's prior to the main. Okay, so you're all falling asleep, having sung well for 20 minutes, and now you're sitting down. So the idea of falling asleep is what you're doing now. Having sung is what you did just before this. So what Paul is saying is, you're going to stand having already clothed yourself in the armor, having already put on the belt of truth, and so on. So the having gives you the circumstances in which we stand. So although we're looking at them as commands to be obeyed, and I'm going to drive home the point that you need to put on the belt and pick up the breastplate and all that, the idea is we will stand having already done those things. All right? So it's, that's how the tenses work. Now, notice, first one there. Endure by clothing yourselves in truth, in Christ's truth. He says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt or the girdle is tightly fastened around the torso and the trunk. And more than likely, it's probably more like, pardon the mention, but a lady's girdle. It's probably quite a bit wider. You know what girdles do, right? They, they take guys that are pear-shaped and make them into V-shaped, right? They just they pull everything in. And the idea of a girdle is you put it on and you crank it up nice and tight, and it fits tight against the body. I had a friend who was a policeman. And he would take his policeman's belt, and it was a great big, thick, heavy leather belt, and he would put it on, and he would buckle it up, and he'd pull it on tight, and it would fit tight against his lower torso, just above his waist, and he'd put his gun and his handcuffs and his baton and his notepad and the, the bat phone and all the rest of that stuff he piled on his weight, his, his police belt. And that police belt's exactly the idea of this belt. It's like a carpenter's belt. When I was a carpenter, I used to wear this big, heavy leather belt around my waist with these big bags hung off of it, and I'd fill them with nails and screws and bolts and hammers and squares and all kinds of stuff I needed to work with. That's exactly what that is. That military belt that he's talking about is a belt which other things are fastened to and hang from. So the sword would be clipped on to that belt and would hang off that belt. And other pieces of armor would hang off this belt around his waist. So... This belt is extremely important, and it's mentioned first. Notice 
It's a belt of truth. What kind of truth? And I'm convinced it is gospel truth. Remember last week we said, and also earlier this morning, we said the devil is a liar. So we must fight and defend ourselves against the devil's lies. And the only way you're going to do that is with truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we fasten tightly to ourselves the precious truths of the gospel. You say, what are those, those precious gospel truths? I'm so glad you all asked because I'd love to tell you some of the precious gospel truths that we fasten tightly to. Listen, the gospel is not just for the unbeliever. The gospel is very much for the believer. We as Christians need to hang on to and cling to the great truths of the gospel because they are our defense against the enemy's acts. So we hang on to the truth of the satisfactory death of Christ. Jesus' death on the cross was enough. He did it all. He paid it all. There was nothing left to be paid. When Jesus finished it, He died. Every single sin was atoned for. It was covered. There was sufficient in Christ's death to pay every single sin you ever did commit, you are committing, and you ever will commit. It was fully enough. Christ's death was satisfactory. There remains no left, no sin left to atone for. And so we take that truth and we tie it tightly to ourselves. We wrap it around ourselves and fasten it onto ourselves. Second truth, the truth of the substitutionary death of Christ. He died for you. He died in your place. He took your place upon the cross and died for you. There remains no more wrath of God left to pour out on you and me. Praise God for a complete and a satisfactory substitutionary death that Jesus died. You take that truth that it was substitutionary. He died for me. I will never face God's wrath. He died for me. And we tie that tightly around our waist and hang on to it. We track the truth of the sacrificial death of Christ. Jesus obeyed his Father all the way to death. He died for me. He gave everything he had to redeem us. But listen, be so careful you don't become proud of this truth. That's the easy trap to fall into. Think Jesus died for me. You know, I'm somebody because Jesus died for me. That's a danger. It's a huge danger. Let these truths, as you you focus on them and meditate them and tie them tightly to yourself, as you think about them, let them bring them, instead of lifting you up with them, bring them to your knees, bring you to your knees in humility before God to realize that God has done this on your behalf. There is nothing that you and I did to accomplish, earn, or win our salvation. It is all God's doing on our behalf. The Bible says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Wrap that truth around your waist. Tie it on tight. I'll tell you how in a second. One more truth I want to look at. The truth that as a believer you are in Christ. I'll never forget walking through a workshop at about 11 o'clock at night. We used to, I had a, a workshop where I built cabinetry in Canada. I was in an airplane hangar and I was walking along. It was the middle of the night. Everybody else had gone home. It was super late. And I was getting ready to baptize my two boys the following night at church. This was a Saturday night. And all of a sudden I'm walking. I was thinking about that verse. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The incredible truth, the weighty truth that we are in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live by faith, I live, sorry, live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. We who have repented or are repenting is a better way to say it and tr- and are trusting in Christ, we are in Him. We have been fastened in Him. We are in Him. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And because we are in Christ, in His new life, it becomes our new life. Wrap that great truth around yourself. 
I was walking along Friday, I think, thinking about this stuff. I was out somewhere. And, of course, the devil starts whispering you know, in your ear, little nagging thoughts. And I stopped and I just repeated to myself, you know what, devil? I'm in Christ. The Bible tells me if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. All those old things that you did in your old sinful life, they're gone. Christ has dealt with them. Your sin is dealt with. You are in Christ. How about the truth of eternal security? There's one to hang on to. To wrap so tight around your waist and belt it up tight. Having repented of sin and trusted in Christ, we are eternally secure. We cannot lose our salvation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. In Romans 8, 35-39, the Bible says this, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it's written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sleep to, sheep to be slaughtered. But listen what he says. In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You want a great truth to hang on to? Nothing can take you away from Christ. Nothing that the world can throw at you. Nothing the devil can throw at you. Not one single thing out there can pry you loose from Christ. If you are in Christ, that is yours. Nothing can take you away from it. Defend yourself against the devil's attacks and schemes with those unshakable truths. And the question, of course, is, is how do we wrap and fasten them around us? The truth must be planted deeply in our hearts. The Bible says in Psalm 15, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Literally, the idea is speaks truth that he's planted in his heart, so he's put it there, and then out of that heart, that heart of truth, he speaks he worships, he witnesses, he testifies, he speaks. It means the truth must be planted deeply in the heart. And how do we do that? And there's nothing new here. You've heard it before and you already know what I'm going to say. We read the truth. We memorize the truth. We meditate the truth. But you know, there's something else even more than that. We apply the truth specifically to ourselves. It's easy to store up truth like jewels up on a shelf or like my collection of books. You store up all those books. And people say, do you read all these books? And I always say, no, I just keep them on my shelves to impress people to come and visit me. I put them up there. I collect them all. And what good are they if they're just sitting on a shelf gathering dust, closed, never opened and read? And it's the same with the truth of Scripture. All those great truths of the gospel are not just to be read and memorized and meditated and stored up like jewels in a crown. They are to be applied specifically to you and I. You say, how do you do that? Get a pen and paper out. Start writing some of these verses out and wherever it's appropriate, put your name in. Let me give you an example. Therefore, if Nelson is in Christ... Nelson is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. How about Romans 8.32? I'll pick on Cam. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for Cameron, how will he not also with Cameron freely give him all things? You write that out, you say, well, you're changing Scripture. No, what you're doing is you're applying the Scripture directly to a person, yourself. Who will separate Kathy from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? No. Kathy is convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities and so on. There's nothing able to separate Kathy from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus her Lord. She takes that truth. And you know what, brothers and sisters? If you're struggling, and all of us do at times, we're wrestling with doubts. Sitting down and taking a piece of paper and writing out, I believe, 
I'm convinced that the Bible teaches me this. And because the Bible teaches it to me, I will hold on to it. And I'll wrap that truth around my waist and I'll cinch it up tight. And the truth clings to me and I cling to it. That's how we defend ourselves. We pray these truths into our life. We pray and plead with God to help us fasten them into our lives and we cling to them by faith in God. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't just pick up truth and look at it and go, wow, what a wonderful truth, and put it down again. Pick it up. Hang on to it. Wrap it around your waist and fasten it tight. These gospel truths will become your own defense against the devil's lies. Lies are only ever defeated by truth. Truth defeats the lies that Satan brings against God and the gospel. Truth defends against temptation. Remember Jesus' example? Devil comes to him. You're hungry. What does he say? No, I'm not. It's okay. I can go ten more days yet. I'm still good. No, it's not. It's okay. I'll just, you know. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. What's he do? He says, it is written. And he says it again in verse 7, it is written. And again in verse 10, it's written. And all he does is quote the truth. But you know, I, just know, I never noticed this until just this morning, sitting in my office early, going through this. It suddenly occurred to me, you know what Jesus is doing? He's applying biblical truth to himself. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. That was his own defense against the devil's temptation. He took the word of God. He learned it and memorized it. And when the time came, he was able to call it to mind and use it in defense against the devil. That's our example. Brothers and sisters, God has given us the greatest armor of all. It's the truth of the word of God. Pick it up. Put it on. Get used to it. Make it your own. That last part, by the way, is so important. Listen, young people, especially the younger ones. Young people are younger ones, I know. Listen. It's not enough to believe just because mom and dad believe. It is not enough to just believe because grandma and grandpa believe. You must make it your own. Which means that you must sit down with those things that you've heard mom and dad say that are true for so many years. And you work through them yourself. With your own Bible, with a notebook. Wrestle through them. Think deeply. Make sure that what you believe isn't just what you believe because they believe it. Make sure what you believe is because you believe it because you can see it for yourself. Because when the devil comes on and says, in your ear, it will not be enough to say, Well, my dad says, well, you know, my dad thinks this. The devil's going to go, he'll he'll rip through that so fast and you'll be left defenseless. You make that truth your own. Praise God for the reformation that took Bibles out of chain up to pulpits in churches and put Bibles into the hands of every single person that could get their hands on one. You've been given a precious truth in the Word of God. We're talking about this this morning, Connor and I. Who will bear the greater judgment in the end times? Those who did not have the truth, but obeyed what tiny bit they had. Or you and I who have the whole counsel of God in multiple versions, colors, styles, leather-bound, paper-bound, all the rest of it, but do not know what that truth is. And I'm convinced we will be hold to a higher account because we have it. Don't just put it on. Make it your own. You invest the time. It's not enough to come into this church and sit here week by week and listen to a sermon and go, that's good enough. I got my Bible feeding for the week. Go home, carry on my life. That's not enough. It's every single day you and your your Bible before the living God. It open, your heart open to hear what he would say. You're minding its truths. You're wrestling through and thinking through the hard verses and the hard passages. Little practical note. If you want some way to help yourself really understand these truths, take the book of Romans and divide it up. Or even if you don't want to do that, come and ask me. I'll give you one. I got a little bookmark thing. It takes the book of Romans over 28 days and takes it through just about half a chapter a day. You do that over and over and over again. Half a chapter a day. Read to the book of Romans. Note. Look. Underline. Figure things out. Look up the cross-references. Make it make sense. 
Take that truth, and as you're doing it, what you're doing is you're wrapping it around your waist and you're cinching it up tight so it'll be yours. Third point, last point, endure having clothed yourself in Christ's righteousness. Notice the text again in verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is the second most important armor piece that we have. You say, what's the first? It's the helmet. Because you can take a hit to the side or the chest and still survive, but you take a massive hit to your head, you're going to die pretty much instantly. So the breastplate is the second most important piece of armor. It was like a heavy leather or metal plates. They often took them and overlaid them, so the plates were like uh, scales of a fish. So as they moved, the plates would move back and forth and allow them freedom to move, but still have a good defense. Now, people have often made the assumption that the breastplate just covered the breast. In actual fact, or the upper body, it wasn't that at all. It actually was right around the body, and it was actually fastened with buckles or straps underneath the arm on one side. So that breastplate protected the heart and lungs from both the front and the rear. But it had to be buckled on, okay? It was designed to protect the heart specifically. And when he says put on, the word in Greek actually means like clothing, like you take a shirt or a a dress or a jacket, you put it on. It was to cover yourselves up with it. Whose righteousness is it that we're clothed in? Well, I've told you in the note sheet that it's Christ's righteousness. That's a great question. What is righteousness? It's interesting that sometimes we know phrases and we know Bible verses that use long words that we don't know what they mean. And it's worth it if you don't know some of these great uh, gospel words, propitiation and sanctification and, and justification and righteousness. Get out a dictionary, a Bible dictionary, look them up. It's so cool when you understand the depth of meaning behind these words. Righteousness is complete conformity to God's truth. Okay, Christ's righteousness is his right state or standing in God's eyes. Christ in his own person is in absolute perfect conformity to truth. Christ's righteousness is also his right and perfect behavior before God. Every thought Christ thinks is right before God. It's correct. It conforms to truth. Every word Christ spoke and speaks is righteous. It conforms completely to truth. Every action that Christ did, every healing, every time he went somewhere, when he waited before he went to raise Lazarus from the dead, it was a right action. Everything he did was righteous. Christ's state and behavior conformed completely to truth. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, speaking about Jesus, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. That's Christ. That's Jesus. He's the one doing that. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, the Bible says that he, speaking of Jesus, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet for salvation on his head. He put garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's what Jesus did. In all of his work in humanity, that's what he did. He did that exactly he's calling us to do. So our example isn't just Paul and Peter and James, those other guys. It's Christ himself. Isaiah 53, verse 11, the Bible says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He's called and termed the righteous one, as in the only one who was righteous. That was Christ. And you and I have believed in God, and God has credited or applied Christ's righteousness to us. Okay, the Bible says this, Romans 4. This is great stuff. You've got to listen. But it's really good for you to understand this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due. 
But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. How does that work? When we believe in God, we put our trust in God. We trust him for salvation. God in response, I shouldn't say response, God simultaneously applies all of the righteousness of Christ. He applies it to us. He gives it to us. We are in a right state before God because we have Christ's righteousness for our own. Christ's right behavior has been declared our right behavior. We are in Christ, therefore, all of His right actions and all of His right behavior becomes my right behavior. So another way of saying it is this. By faith, we have put on the righteousness of Christ as our own. By faith, we have received the righteousness of Christ as our own. By faith, we fastened the righteousness of Christ to our own hearts. We've wrapped it around and buckled it up at the side and tied it tight. And that righteousness now covers and protects the heart and lungs. Or the heart, literally, spiritually. What does it protect us from? What do you think righteousness, first of all, protects us from? I'll give you one answer. It might shock you. God. What are you saved from? Sin. Judgment. Someone over here. God's wrath. Yes. God's wrath. God's judgment. Saved from sin is absolutely right. Saved from hell is absolutely right. The Bible talks about Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 17, 18. The wrath of God or the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and right and righteousness of men. How are we going to protect ourselves against God's furious wrath? We put on the righteousness of Christ like a breastplate. By faith we claim it as our own and we wrap it around us and God comes with his vengeance and his fury against ungodliness and unrighteousness and he lifts the sword and says, Lydia has Christ's righteousness on her. That's good. She's accepted and no longer does the wrath fall on her. No longer does God's wrath fall on us. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Romans 1.18 What will protect us from the wrath of God which is to come? It's the fact that Christ's righteousness has been applied to us. Yes, we're saved from sin. And yes, we're saved from hell. We're saved from the world. But ultimately, we are saved from God by God. That's an incredible truth. Listen. You struggle in your life with security. You struggle with being absolutely sure you're saved. I'll give you one suggestion among many others. This is one suggestion to help you work through that. Sit down and go through Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Look at the fact of what sin is. Look at the fact of the anger of God against sin. And then look at the fact of the righteousness of Christ which is applied to your heart by faith. And when you realize it's not your own, it's not your own good works, it's not your own doing, it's not even your faith, it's Christ's righteousness that is put onto you that protects you from God's wrath. And if Christ's righteousness is not enough for God, everything is over. Go out, eat, drink, party, get drunk, have a party, forget it, it's all done. But Christ's righteousness perfectly satisfies God. He looks at Christ and Christ and said, that's enough for me. And when we wrap it around ourselves and we stand before God in that horrible position for a moment, he sees Christ's righteousness on us and says, it's enough. It's good. And he accepts us into his, as his own, as his own son and daughter. Okay? Christ's righteousness is also our unbeatable defense against Satan's schemes. When the devil whispers, you're not truly saved. You ever heard this in the back of your mind? Well, no Christian would ever do that. Well, no Christian would ever think that, you know. Well, no ever, no Christian would ever go there. And all of a sudden, the, the plagues of doubt just descend upon our hearts. 
Christ's righteousness fastened to us is our unbeatable defense. When we hear those things whispered in our hearts, we have, we can say, I've wrapped myself and fastened Christ's truth to me. The gospel has been applied to me. I'm repenting of sin. I believe in Jesus Christ, his righteousness of mine. We can shout back at the devil in defense. Listen, young people, listen, older folks. The devil comes along when you least expect it. The devil comes along in the quiet moments. The devil comes along in the middle of all the busyness of life and starts whispering little things in your ear. And here's where knowing the word of God And knowing these truths of the gospel, you can turn around and you can shout back from Romans 3.24, I have been justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. His righteousness is mine. Go away, devil. We can shout back from 2 Corinthians 5.17, I, sorry, I am in Christ, devil. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Go away. We stand up against him with the truth of God. When the devil begins to whisper in your ear, try and twist you and tempt you to do things that you know are wrong, we shout back from Romans 6, 11, I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Actually, take your Bible, just for a sec. Take your Bible, Romans 6. Look over there. This is worth looking at. I'm going to read, yeah, from verse 5 down to verse number 12. Romans 6, verses 5 to 12. So Paul says, he says, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know, verse 9, that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider... In the old King James, it uses the phrase, reckon, you, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. What does that mean? It means you count yourself as dead to sin. It means you consider yourself, I'm dead to sin. It no longer has any power over me. The devil comes along and starts to whisper in your ear, go look at that porn channel. Go cheat on your taxes. Go cheat on your wife. Cut the corners. Steal. You're in a tight situation? Lie your way out of it. And we turn around and we fight against those things by saying, you know what, devil? I'm dead to sin and alive to God. Go away. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. I'm in Christ. These things have no power over me anymore. I'm set free from the power of sin. Not the presence of it, but the power of it. It will still influence in your life and try and get you to turn away from Christ. And the devil's main goal is to stumble you up so you won't follow Christ all the way to the end. So we hang on to these truths like a breastplate, like a belt of truth that protects us. And we say, I won't give in because Christ's truth is my truth. Because Christ's righteousness is mine. Sin and Satan no longer have power over me. We shout back at the devil from Romans 6.23. Devil, the wages of my sin was death, but the free gift of God that I have received is eternal life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. He paid the penalty for my sin. There's nothing you can do about it. Go away. And we resist him standing firm in our faith. I believe it's Peter says that. From Romans 8, 1 and 2, we shout back at the devil. There is therefore now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what he's saying? How many of us every day listen to the devil's lies 
And how many of us every day get dragged down into their mire and trip us up? We don't walk in victory. We don't walk in joy because we're stumbling along, staggering along, listening to the lies. And Paul is saying, listen, Christian, God has given us an armor. He will give us the strength if we cry out to God for it. But he's given us armor. Pick it up, Christian. Put it on and stand firm. Endure to the end. We shout back at the devil from Romans 8.38. I am convinced, devil, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, that's you, devil, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we stand on that truth it's like Psalm 40. The, David says, He saw me in the miry clay. He lifted me out and He set my feet on a solid rock. A rock is Christ and a rock is His truth. That's how we stand there. God has given us armor that is fail-proof. He supplies us with armor that the Satan cannot overcome. God will strengthen us for the struggle, the wrestle and the fight. We plead with Him for it. God has given us his own armor, but we must put it on in obedience to him. Put it on, Christian. Clothe yourself in these truths. Wrap them around you. Buckle them tight. Live in light of them. So when the devil comes to lie to you, to deceive you, so when the devil comes to tempt you, you have the necessary armor to endure. I want to go back to the obedience point again because I think it's really important. Remember what we said last week for those of you who are here. Our salvation is absolutely secure in Christ. If you are saved, you cannot lose that salvation. Our salvation is displayed by our obedience to what Christ commands us to do. God commands, these are not suggestions. This is not a lovely package. I hate when I hear people say, the gospel is a lovely package gift and you can take it or you can receive You don't have to take it if you don't want to. I think to myself, are you stupid? Sorry. If God gave you a gift and commanded you to take it, you don't argue and say, well, you know, I just don't feel like it. You hear what he says and you obey. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, the gospel is a command to be obeyed. These statements that Paul is making here, they're so strong in their Greek language. Put it on. Take it up. Stand firm. And our obedience to those commands displays the fact that we have indeed trusted in Christ and begun to walk with him. And because we obey, we will endure. And that endurance proves that we have been truly saved by God. Having begun to believe in Christ, having begun to repent of sin, having begun to live life in obedience to Him, we put on the armor and we will endure to the end. Come on, Noble Park. That's all of us together as believers in Christ. Pick up that armor and put it on. That's all of us as believers get together and encourage one another to put on that truth and fasten it to ourselves that we'll stand when we're apart. And not together. The devil doesn't often come when we're in together as groups. But I tell you this much. When we choose to separate ourselves from the people of God and try and make it on our own, we think we can do better, the devil comes rushing in and he attacks. And when we're together in groups, encouraging one another on in our faith, encouraging one another to believe, encouraging each other, each other with truth, why do I send texts with Bible verses out to you periodically because I got nothing better to do I got lots better to do not much better because when I send those truths out in scripture the idea is you take that truth when you see it and you apply it to yourself or maybe share it with somebody else to strengthen each other come on noble part we can do this learn our own strength but in the strength of God, the Holy Spirit who empowers us and enables us to do it. And we can stand firm and finish the race well together. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and then we're going to 
sing the benediction. Loving Father, we come before you again and we give you thanks for those great gospel truths. Father, thank you this morning that Jesus died and he died for me and he died for all those here too. Father, we give you thanks that he has died and paid the penalty in its full. Father, we thank you for this great truth that there is nothing left of your wrath to face us. Father, we thank you for these great truths, that we can wrap them around our waist, we can read them and meditate them and memorize them, but Father, we must apply them to ourselves. Father, we thank you, we praise you, O God, that our, our champion has gone forth into the battle, and he has come back victorious, he has defeated the enemy. Father, we give you thanks that because his righteousness is applied to us, your wrath has been turned away. Lord, what a great truth out of Isaiah 12. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, for though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away and you comfort us. Father God, I cry out to you this morning. One, two, three, five, however many in this room that do not know what it means to trust in you, to believe in you, to be saved. Father, I cry out to you that the blood of Christ will be applied to their lives, that they would turn towards you and cry out for salvation and know the promises of Scripture are true. Wrap that truth around themselves. Buckle on the breastplate of righteousness. Pull the helmet of salvation down over their head and pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and walk in obedience Walk in faith, but walk in joy too, knowing they're going to make it all the way to the end. Father, lift our gaze up off of our circumstances. Help us to see Christ. Help us to see the beauty of the gospel in all that we do. Father, we ask you for your help. We plead with you, O God, that you would awaken to faith those who don't know. Father, for those of us who do but have let, left the armor sitting on the floor, we put down the sword of the Spirit. We put aside the breastplate of righteousness. Father, help us to go back and pick it up and fasten it on to resist the devil's schemes, to stand firm in that day that we would not falter and turn aside. Father, help us all to show the reality of our salvation to one another and to the devil as we endure in obedience and in your strength. Father, we ask you these things. We give you thanks again for Noble Park Baptist Church. Father, we plead with your blessing on us all. Father, for those who can't be here for one reason or another today, Father, we ask you for your strengthening hand to be upon them. Encourage them in their walk. Father, for some who have chosen not to be here, thinking they can do better on their own, Father, we pray that you would gently and patiently guide them and bring them back they might know the fellowship of the saints and the sweet fellowship of Christ. Father, we ask you these things and we plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen.